Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today we have uh, Patricia reading an article uh, and telling us all about it. I'm excited to hear more about the topic that you picked. So could you give us just like a quick highlight before we do a little recap of what's been going on with us? Yes. So this topic was actually a very popular article that we wrote um, around work-life conflict for those women or individuals that are single and without children. And so this article that we're going to talk about today is an older piece from 2006, but one of the first ones that really looked at work-life conflict of never married women without children and compared it to uh, married women and married women with children. So it was a really interesting piece and kind of getting at um, some biases against single women or women without children that they don't have other responsibilities outside of work. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting topic, a little bit frustrating because I think this is a, a major issue that I've heard a lot of people talk about, especially after we wrote the article. A lot of people reached out to me to talk about it and tell me their experience. Um, so hopefully this will resonate to the podcast listeners as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really excited that we're talking about this topic because I think people are pretty aware of the conflicts that exist for people that have children um, or are partnered or whatever the case may be, but uh, often assume that folks that uh, don't have a partner and don't have children just have no life outside of work. So I think that's why it rings a bell with people and why it's a good topic to talk about because uh, it's not frequently discussed. So I'm excited mm -hmm. to hear more about it. Um, but before we dive into that, I know that you have some exciting news to share. Last time we talked, you shared some of the stressful stuff that's been going on with you. And it seems that you've uh, come to a place where you have some resolutions. So I think our listeners would like to hear an update on everything that's been going on with you. <laughs> sure. Yeah, there's been a lot. Um, so we talked about how my wedding venue canceled and that was a big bummer. But uh, last weekend, my sister and I actually went out to Hawaii, uh, kind of last minute. We're like, you know what? I think it's going to be easier to find a place if we just go and see it. So we went and we saw a bunch of different venues, um, met with my planner out there, and it was awesome. Like we found a great space. We're really excited about it. Um, my sister, she is an event. Well, I guess she's like director of events or something like that is her title. Um at the Intercontinental in San Diego. And so she's all up in the lingo of events. And so she was my little uh, cheerleader running around and getting all the right questions asked and answered that I would never have thought of. So that was huge and super, super helpful. Um, but I'm feeling a lot better about it. And Danny actually stayed back with the little Nittany cat as she, uh, you know, we didn't really want to leave her yet with anybody else since, she, I mean, hers stitches are out now, um, from her surgery, but she's still like a little, I don't know. She's acting pretty normal, but you know, we just felt sad to leave her alone. So, so Danny stayed back with her and said that he would trust whatever I decide. And we FaceTimed him a lot and he kind of saw everything. So I think we're all feeling a lot better about the situation. So that's good. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Yay. You made it happen. And it was mm -hmm. super helpful that Martha knows all that stuff. Cause I don't know any of those 
I don't no. know anything to ask for anything. And I remember when I was planning, like I had to ask around to people like, what can you even like negotiate on? What am I missing? Like, so it's so helpful to have somebody that's like in the event space to help you with that because it's complicated when it comes to weddings. And so it's good that you had her and now you're all set and feeling a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, she was even just like at one point we were talking contracts with this one person and she was like, I think we're going to do 10% off of, you know, the appetizers and blah, blah, blah. And the girl was like, okay. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what just happened? <laughs> you can just say that? I was like, you can just say we're going to do 10% and they're just going to give you 10%. Yeah. And later on, she was like, yeah, it's like pretty standard. And I was like, oh, I guess. Okay. Well, I would not have known that. Like, I didn't know no, it was standard that they would give you no. 10% off. Um, no. But I guess that's why you ask for 10 because that's the state. That's generally what people will do. And that's why I shouldn't ask for like 25. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. It Good was just know. funny because I just had no idea. And I was like watching her do her magic. It was very impressive. There are a lot of a lot of uh, rules that I don't understand. But uh, it would have been nice to have a Martha during wedding planning. So it's, good <laughs> that, it's good that you have one. Yay. Um, uh, yeah. Very good. Yeah, so that's super exciting, and I can't wait until we're we won't be podcasting live from Hawaii. But it would be fun. <laughs> it would be funny if we did. <laughs> Maybe we could do a five minute ep- mini sode. Yeah. Say hi, we're in Hawaii. Let us have fun. Bye. <laughs> I'm gonna walk around your wedding with my headphones on and microphone and do a a live a live uh, stream from your wedding. That would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness but well, it'll I can't be fun wait. I'm very it'll excited it'll be super fun it'll be super yeah. fun we're gonna have an awesome time and um obviously we'll keep track of everything on Instagram for everybody else but um yay that's awesome yay. and I'm actually about to drive to Pittsburgh for my cousin's wedding so uh after we're done here I'm getting in the car and driving uh to a wedding so lots of wedding related things happening here and it'll be super fun I'm really excited to go hang out with my family um and do exciting things uh and dance and I love dancing so much so basically like <laughs> when weddings happen I'm there for the dancing that's like primary focus for me so I'm super excited about that um and just getting to hang out with family and friends for the weekend I think will be really fun so um all good things so last time we were like kind of like down in the dumpers when we were talking and this time things are looking things are looking up yeah definitely I think you're gonna have so much fun at this wedding in Pittsburgh I can't wait to see pictures and hear all about yeah. it yeah um we're actually doing my bridal shower this weekend so oh yeah that's right stuff, um yeah. which my sister has also planned so my poor sister has been like really put to work the past couple of weeks for uh the wedding she's just all over everything but um, very much appreciate it. And she also loves this stuff. So I think she's been a little bit stressed out, but I think she also enjoys it. Um, hopefully I hope so. I hope I'm not making her do a bunch of stuff that she hates. I mean, granted she didn't get to go to Hawaii and I bought her a massage while we were there too. So we got to do massages yeah, and stuff. So look at that. hopefully, hopefully she's okay with all the work that she's been doing for my wedding. <laughs> I'm sure she is. I'm sure she's okay with it. Every, you know, that happens. Everybody's wedding. There's, it takes an army to get all this stuff together. So I wouldn't worry about it. I'm sure that she's very happy to be helpful. I hope so. Well, I appreciate it more than anything. So yay. So lots of wedding yay. stuff. You'll be going to wedding. I'll be going to my bridal shower which I don't I don't know I makes me a little bit anxious because I don't love being 
the, the focus like that. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. I'm sure it'll be fine and I'm sure I'll have fun and it's all people I love, but, um, it's just, I have to get over that because obviously the wedding's going to be like that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was actually the part about getting married that I was most apprehensive about was like, I just didn't, I'm totally fine with being the center of attention when I'm, it's very interesting. I don't know. I have no idea psychologically what this means about me, but I'm very fine. And maybe you're the same way. I'm totally fine with being the center of attention when I'm like presenting or teaching or like, I feel very competent in that area. But when it's just like people looking at me and they're like looking at like my outfit and like hair and like, I don't know that like I don't have I'm not trained in like, you know, being like amazing looking in pictures or what. I, like that's not my <laughs> that's not my forte. <laughs> so I feel like those things make me really stressed out. So like going wedding dress shopping, I was super stressed out. Like I didn't like the idea of doing that. I was like not sh- super stressed about shower and wedding stuff, but like my primary concerns were like, oh, there's going to be a lot of people looking at me. And like as a person who doesn't mind being the center of attention professionally, it's kind of interesting to not want to be the center of attention personally. I'm exactly the same way. Like I have no problem speaking in front of a crowd and presenting or teaching or, you know, whatever, being at a client meeting and leading a conversation, no issue at all. But when it's, I think the same thing, it's like when people are just like looking at me for like other reasons, I don't know. It's just, it's just feels weird. And also I think it's more of the, like they're celebrating you. I think I'm not good at like taking compliments or like, yeah. Right. Those types of things. So it's like they're everyone's focusing on you as like a person. Like they're there because they love you and they want to tell you that and they want to share that with you and they want to experience right. like your marriage with you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like super cute and like I love doing it for other people, but like for I don't know, I just feel like I I'm a little uncomfortable taking that. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a different kind of attention. And like yeah. I think both of us have been so like focused on like our our place or area that we feel comfortable is like school and work and like this is like out of that realm so it feels kind of weird to be like I'm in charge of like or like I'm in the middle of all this attention for like a dress and hair and like, I don't know you know what I mean like yeah. that's just like not normally what we're doing so it feels more like scrutinizing or something because that's not an area where I feel like I I'm like very masterful you know so completely agree completely agree (laughs) you'll you'll have fun regardless oh I'm sure I'm at my shower but um yeah I'm sure it'll be super fun um I'm excited but I just just the idea of it sometimes makes me a little bit nervous I'm like oh Ah. what if I say something weird What are you going to say? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it'll be fine. I don't know. It's just, it's just like everyone's looking at you for a reaction to it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's like, they want to see like, how do you react to the decor and everything the way it's set up? And I'm sure it's going to be beautiful and super cute, but like everyone's looking to see how you react. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure at your wedding, everyone's looking to see how like you two interact to but together and the vows and like how you react, you know what I mean? Everyone's watching like your reaction. And so I I don't know, it's just a, it's whatever. It's a weird thing. It's funny, but I know that we're similar in that. And I'm sure other people are feel the same way. Yeah. I remember before the wedding, someone told me like, which if anyone's listening and someone tells you this, like, I don't really know what it means, but it's not, I don't know if it's like not (laughs) true or what it is, but they were like, don't lock your legs when you're saying your vows because you'll fall over. Oh yeah. You can faint. 
Yeah, but okay. But like, I don't know what the definition of locking your legs is. But when you like get that in your head, no matter what way, because <laughs> like, how are you supposed to stand? Are you just squatting up there? Like, like, <laughs> so like, I like a lot of people said that to me. And I guess I like didn't really think about like, what does that mean until I was like actually up there? <laughs> And then it was like, I'm thinking the whole time, like, I think my legs are locked. But really, I was just standing like like a normal person stands. But like your legs are straight when you stand. So I don't yeah. know exactly like when I'm standing and when I'm locking. Like I was very confused. But I, anyway, I didn't think about the distinction <laughs> until I was actually up there. And then the whole time I was up there, I was like, I think my legs might be locked. Are they locked? <laughs> I don't know. And like, I'm like, what if I pass out? Like, what if I just fall over right now because my legs are locked? And then I'm like thinking like, well, I don't want to like bend because then like you're le- then you look weird. So the whole time oh I gosh. was up on the altar, I was just like in a panic that my legs were locked. So like just stupid oh, stuff like it. that. That's so is, funny. like terrible. So anyway, just everybody in the world at all these events, just have fun. And if people like. I don't know, give you scary <laughs> advice. Just do what you would normally do. Like, you're not going to say anything weird at your shower because you don't say weird stuff. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to pass out at my wedding because I'm standing because I've never stood in a way that made me pass out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I don't understand what this is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm, like, dying. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm just imagining you, like, panicking. Like, is my knees bent too much, doing. too little? Am I, like, <laughs> I know. You're, like, if someone's watching you, you're, like, going up and down. Like, they're just yeah. because you're, like, bending. <laughs> Your legs. <laughs> like what are you supposed to do like it looks completely normal in the video but like nobody knows in my head like the whole time I'm like going through the motions of this I'm like oh my god like I think like what if I just pass out right now because my leg is straight like I don't know I don't know anyway oh my that's gosh life. that's so good so good um but speaking of weddings now let's talk about single people um so <laughs> so yes. could you tell us what your article is and who wrote it yeah. So the article is called Understanding the Work-Life Conflict of Never Married Women Without Children. And it's written by Hamilton, Gordon, and Whelanberry in 2006 in Women and Management Review. So it's a pretty early article on this topic, which is embarrassing for the field, I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, everyone just focused on work-family conflict for so long and the family component, meaning the traditional family, a, a man a woman and children. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, we know that that's not the case. Not everybody's in this exact same type of traditional family, but that's where the focus was. So this article was kind of starting to get into this question about what does it look like for people that are not in this traditional family? Um, so this study, what it did is it actually surveyed a number of people within two healthcare organizations and a financial organization Um, They sent out like thousands and thousands of surveys and got well over a thousand back. And they talked to never married women without children. They talked to married women without children and married women with children. So they did a comparison across all of the groups. Um, And just the general kind of high level overview of what they found was that surprise, surprise, never married childless women also experienced conflict at work between their work and their life. Um, They did experience more work interfering with life conflict than life interfering with work conflict. Um, And that is different than individuals with children. So people with children did experience some of the 
their life interfering with their work more. But other than that, there was the same level of conflict. And um, I think that's really important is just that there's really no difference between never married childless women, married childless women, and married women with children um, in terms of work-life conflict. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think part of what is important also to highlight is the focus on women here is not to be exclusionary of men, but I'm sure the article talks about how um, when it comes to work and life, even though we're moving closer in terms of equity uh, with regard to how women and men split tasks, women still, even women who are breadwinners and are working more hours outside of the house, still do more of the housework compared to men from an hours basis on a daily basis, weekly basis, uh, monthly basis. And women tend to spend a significant portion of time more in childcare than men, even when they're um, both working equal amounts or even when the woman's working more hours than the male. So while there are certainly couples that split things equally and couples that uh, where, you know, there might be a stay at home dad or a dad that puts in more time into the housework or childcare responsibilities on the whole. Women are still spending more time on those kinds of responsibilities than men are. So the idea of work and family conflict is more ever present when it comes to thinking about the presence of children and the extent to which children might make an impact on the experience of work and family conflict for women compared to men. Exactly. And, you know, the article did talk a lot about how. Um, like right in the beginning was just like, we're looking at this group and then there's so many other groups. Like they specifically specified never married women. They yeah. said that there's other types of women that are not, um, that are single, that are not married, you know, widowed, divorced, whatever it might be. Um, there's, I mean, they did look at married women without children. So that's another category, but they, they kind of narrowed it down on like one group to just make a point. I think is really what it came down to. It's just such an early piece. So here's another group that we haven't talked about. We never think about. Let's show that they have this issue and then let's start to expand. So it was kind of like an initial look because then there's obviously, you know, never married men without children that probably yeah. experience some of the same issues. Um, then there's probably married couples without children that um, might get some sort of stigma because they don't have children. Yeah. Uh, there's obviously same-sex couples that might experience different um, stereotypes around work-life conflict. So there's a lot of different types of groups. And, you know, it's not just women. It's not just never married. It's not just childless. There's so many different um, kind of patterns and groups that you can look at to figure out what's going on with work-life conflict. So they just focus on one to keep it simple and to make a point is what I kind of understood from it. Um, yeah. But there's definitely a lot more areas, and I think there's more research starting to be done in some of these, uh, looking at some of these other groups. Did they sample particular industries, or could you talk a little bit more about who was in the different samples, like what their ages were? Because I would be, yeah. I would be curious to see if the um, women who were married and had children were in a different age category than the women that were not married um, and didn't have children, because. Uh, the work life life work conflict thing is interesting because you would wonder if it's not that uh, women that have that don't have children and are not married and have never been married might be seen in the workplace as folks that like you can dump a lot of work on. And then mm -hmm. also, um, you know, that they might think, well, 
this is they're they're focusing on their career because that's the phase that they're in. So they're maybe people ask them to take on more at work and they are saying yes to that because they feel like they can't come up with it a reason that would be believable within the workplace to say no to it. So I'm trying to think about mm -hmm. like what phases in careers these women are and what. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And actually they took that into account because they only looked at women 35 plus. Okay. That's so cool. I think they were trying to account for the fact that, you know, women in their twenties, um, even early thirties might, um, still be, like might be dating, might be kind of focusing on their career before starting their family. So, yeah. and this is, I mean, this is an assumption that 35 plus means they're choosing to never be married. I don't know right. if that's not really true. And that they probably, I mean, some of these women may eventually get married and may have children at some point, but these women are a little bit later stage. So they're in a more similar life phase as the as what you would typically think a married person with children looks like. So these are all women, all categories, the never married, and then the two different married categories are all women above 35. And they're okay. healthcare employees and financial organization employees. So there's like nurses in here, there's like insurance brokers and um, I don't know, stock brokers, I guess, and like like really intense financial positions. And then- yeah healthcare positions which are also pretty intense. Um, okay. so you're looking at pretty, I would say pretty high stress jobs too. Um, and they did spend a lot of time actually talking about how companies often see these never married childless women as, you know, more stable employees, right? They're people that don't have families. So they're just, they're focusing on their career, like you said, and therefore they're generally the prime candidates for more projects working later, working on weekends, traveling more, all those things, um, just because they don't have children or a spouse at home. Yeah. Um, they also mentioned something that was interesting, and I know that this, Katina, probably goes to some of the work that you've done in, like, the women's studies area, but they talked a lot about roles and, like, how for so long, you know, the salient roles for women are wife and mother, right? That's something for centuries was the case. Um, but how we basically as a society ignore the other roles, even though that's, you know, women are becoming, um, obviously there's tons of women in the workplace now. It's not like an, it, a concern that women can't work. Right. Um, but people are still not focusing on women in that role as their career role or other roles outside of being a mother or wife, like an aunt or a friend or a volunteer or whatever it might be. Um, so it spent a lot of time just, you know, kind of just talking through like the beginning sections of the article around how um, we need to be a little bit broader in our definition of what women's roles look like and what what roles are actually salient. And that just because you don't have a child or you're not married, you know, your family role might still be very important to you. Um, it's just not what people traditionally think your role should be at that point in your life. Yeah. And I know that there are a lot of people, even in families, with the way that the family dynamic works, uh, that if you're somebody in a family who doesn't have children, just for example, if there's elder care or something that needs to happen uh, or other kinds of you know, uh, family responsibilities that might require some coordination or health care or whatever, Oftentimes families will ask people or the person who doesn't have children of their own or whatever will volunteer to take those things on. So there may be these unknown 
sort of burdens that people are bearing uh, that still take up a lot of time and they're still family related, but people are just assuming they don't have because they're thinking about women's role in caretaking so narrowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point because they actually looked. So one of the findings was around benefits. So they asked um, these different women about how important benefits were to them at mm-hmm. an organization and the benefits included things like childcare and um, maternity leave and health insurance and elder care was one of them. So there was a difference where it basically went into this pattern that married women with children found more of these um, benefits as a, so they were important. Then it was married women without children was the second group that thought they were pretty important. And then the least important um or the person, the group that rated most of these as the least important was the never married with children, without children group. Okay. So if that makes sense, like if you're married and you have kids, you think most of these benefits are really important. And as you kind of trickle down the groups to get to the never married childless group, they, yeah. um, they really don't, uh, they don't see the benefits, um, as, as important except for healthcare and elder care. Huh. So yeah, since you bring up the elder care point was really interesting that that was really called out here because they, that population do think that elder care benefits are really important to them because they're probably, you know, they're probably dealing with some of that a lot, at least a good portion of them. Like if you think about it, these individuals are 35 plus. So their parents would be in that aging category. um, Assuming that they're so close with their parents or aunts or uncles or anything like that. Right. Um, so there probably is a fair amount of elder care. And to your point, if they have siblings and siblings that have children, then they might be more likely to be put into a care role for those elderly relatives. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I think that might speak to and obviously they don't have data specifically on that, but like that might speak to this idea that for these life related things that seem, you know, overwhelming potentially to someone who might have young kids or something at home that they might get more easily delegated to women who are still seen as caretakers, but may not be uh, caretaking for children at that time that like they would be more likely to take on uh, other kinds of care. So the assumption that, you know, just because women don't have children um, and aren't married, that they're not caretaking in some way, because I think societally, basically what happens is that women are socialized to be caretakers and people see women as caretakers. And so as a result, when a caretaking task comes up, people are more likely to delegate it to women. And this looks like, you know, or what this is sounding like is that some of those non-child related caretaking tasks that still might take up a, a lot of time get potentially delegated to women without children. So that's really, really interesting. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it speaks to a broader you know, understanding who's in your workforce and trying to figure out what are the benefits that they would find most useful, um, who, who needs what, and what does your population look like specifically and not just making assumptions based on, Oh, well, you know, we have a really young population, a lot of single people, uh, not a lot of people with children. So I think that all that they really want is probably like a gym and a ping pong table or something, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, and actually thinking about, well, what, what benefits do they find valuable? And similarly with people with children, not making assumptions about what they might find useful, but actually like, uh, getting to understand what each group or a variation within group wants in terms of benefits from the organization. You're just like, 
making all these comments, I go straight to a point that the article made. Oh, feel good. Like you're very yeah. aligned. Because the other thing that they looked at was how often these benefits were used. Mm-hmm. And the same pattern emerged where the never married without children women were the least likely to use any of the benefits. Okay. And then married women without children were next. Like they were a little bit more likely. And then married women with children were the most likely to use benefits because a lot of the, the main benefits were things like maternity leave, childcare. They had childcare after school care, um, like all these different, um, you know, benefits that had to do with children specifically being part-time flexible with schedules. So if you're coming back from leave, you can go part-time for a bit, like those types of things that are all very much related to being a family friendly work environment with people with children. But there are a lot fewer benefits that had to do with, you know, the types of flexibility that maybe um, someone without children would be interested in. So It was kind of interesting to see that. So we saw that those that population, the never married without children population, really using benefits a lot less frequently. So then that is an important point that you're making, that if these people are not using the benefits, they're not seeing those benefits. They don't see it as like a good thing that you have this in place because it's not helpful to them. So you need to really think about how it's not a one-size-fits-all approach to benefits. Not everybody's going to need all the benefits. And so you need to think more broadly than just one traditional family structure that might um, need some help and some benefits to keep them in the workplace. You might want to think about other things that might be important to those that are um, not in that family structure. And I think elder care is a book as a good one, but there's probably other things too, um, that we can think about. Uh, they also mentioned like t- flexible work schedules and telecommuting and how yeah. those that are married with children are more likely to use that. And I'm really curious. This is not something they were able to study, but I'm really curious if that is because of, a they used it more because they were allowed to use it more. Or if they used it more just because they wanted to. And from the people that have reached out to me after writing the article on our website, a lot of people have told me that they aren't allowed to work from home as often as their coworkers that have children. Because if their kids are sick or if they have to stay home from school for some reason or whatever it might be, they're always allowed to go home and work from home. And then the people that don't have children, you know, maybe work from home like twice in their entire time at that organization because they were being pressured to stay in the office. So even though the the benefit existed, it wasn't really available to everybody in these examples that I was hearing anecdotally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it goes back to like, it would be really interesting to take this article and create a checklist that's more expansive of things that you know, if you could take a look at what are benefits across all different workplaces that people who are not in the same family situation. So they don't have children. Um, they are not partnered. And so you're looking at how can people, how can we understand what benefits they do find useful and then create like a more expansive checklist to say, okay, well, which benefits are people actually using? Not just so heavy towards benefits that we would already think people with children would use more frequently and see how that pans out because right now it looks like okay well your benefits programs are primarily benefiting people who have children and are partnered but if you 
included a more comprehensive set of benefits, you might see like, oh, people actually take advantage of benefits at the same rate. It's just that they might utilize different benefits at different points in their life or depending upon their family structure. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of uh, an interesting thing to revisit that study with would be, you know, creating a more comprehensive checklist and then maybe the picture of who uses benefits more frequently might change if you had more varied benefits on the list. Yeah, I think... I think you're right. I think that people would probably use benefits to the same degree as long as it was available to them, something that would be useful to them. Like, I'm not going to use childcare for my non-existent child. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be a really interesting follow-up. And I don't know if there is one. I'd have to look into it more. I have. I didn't see anything that, like, quickly jumped out, but um, I'm sure that there's some work kind of in this space since 2006. I would love to see it much more broadly, too. It's like everybody self-identify you know what kind of life they're in right how are they partnered if they're partnered um you know what do they have children no children any other dependents what does that look like and being able to see like differences across all groups you know all different um I would say like minority family structures than the typical one uh because I bet there would be differences and it might be really I mean I think it'd be really important for organizations to know okay so for our never married folks, this benefit is really great. But then for our same-sex couples, this is what would be better. And for our um, individuals that have, you know, elder care responsibilities, this is important. So, like, just understanding, like, what it all looks like from all these different areas, I think, is huge so that you're being very inclusive in your workplace. And your workplace has this feeling of inclusivity versus feeling like those single... Um, people without children are really kind of being pushed into this box where they're just the workhorses and we're going to just put everything on them and um, and overwork them because that's all they care about. They have nothing else to worry about. Yeah. I think from a managerial perspective, it's probably important to really have conversations with people about what benefits, what work-life challenges they're facing, and then try to brainstorm what benefits would be most useful to them. So -hmm. really connecting with people and understanding who's in your organization and how can you advocate for benefits that would actually impact the work-life challenges, not making assumptions about uh, what would be helpful for people, but rather having conversations, asking them what kinds of challenges they're facing. Because the, you know, childless uh, single women are reporting that they're experiencing work-to-life conflict. So why are they experiencing that? And what could be useful from a work perspective, a life perspective? How can the organization facilitate less conflict? I think is a good question. And to have the same conversation with individuals that have children and are partnered just to get more of that knowledge. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess as an individual, it would probably be important for single people to understand that they and if you if you're single, you don't have children like it's not outside of your realm to ask for benefits that would be helpful to you or to ask about benefits that would be helpful to you um, when you're looking for a job or when you're discussing things with your manager because uh, it will end up mattering um, down the line and it is a real concern. So kind of feeling Mm -hmm. validated and asking I think could be helpful for people when they're looking for positions so that they don't experience that conflict later. Yeah, I think that's huge because – I think there's a almost a stigma even from the single person's perspective that, well, I don't have kids, so I guess I can do that. You know, like there's like you fall into that trap too easily. I think some mm-hmm. people, you know, after a certain period of time get frustrated and will realize that it's not fair. But I think at first you might fall into that. I mean, I definitely did when I first started um, at Infor. I remember um, Jill 
asked like our team if anyone can do x thing on like it was a travel thing and I volunteered and I told her I was like I don't have any kids I know it's like a holiday weekend so I'm happy to do it and she was like I don't care if you don't have kids like you have other things in your life like that don't do it because of that like if you actually are available and willing to do it great but like don't tell me that it's because you don't have kids like that's not right right. uh, a thing so I really appreciated that and I was like oh like no like obviously like I I have a life too I have other responsibilities I have friends I have family I have things going on in my life outside of Infor and so I deserve that same balance that somebody with children does um so I do appreciate that I'm in a workplace that does expect that and and respect that everybody has their own thing it doesn't matter if you have children or no children or whatever your your situation might be but not everybody's there and I think it's as an individual trying to figure out like how do you broach that conversation because I actually had a good friend talk to me about their situation and she was just saying that you know it was really like reading the article was helpful because she didn't realize that she was like not alone in this she just like kind of felt alone because everyone around her at work has children and she doesn't and she's always expected to come in on the holidays and pick up the slack on the weekends and you know work later hours like everyone else is leaving at four to go pick up their kids and she's there till seven so like things like that and they're just completely taking advantage of her and um she's starting to push back now but for a while you know she was newer to the organization and people just totally took advantage um and they always use their kids as an excuse for everything so I think that you know that it's really unfair she's unhappy with that she's really upset with her boss with the way that she's been treated um because like her boss just takes off and goes to deal with her kids and then leaves her to deal with all the other stuff that might be going on in the evenings so um so I think that you know, it's really important for managers and leaders to recognize um, that they shouldn't be giving preferential treatment to anybody because of children. I think there's an important um, flexibility that needs to occur in workplaces when people have children and have that care um, responsibility. I mean, elder care too, but also being fair, you know, your expectations for one group shouldn't be much higher and stricter than expectations for another group. If there's flexibility to leave at four to pick up your kids, well, maybe your single employee should also leave at four to go meet with their friends or go to yoga or whatever they want to do. Like they have their own life um, goals and things that they might want to be accomplishing. So why should they have to stay three more hours at work um, just because they don't have kids like someone made that decision to have children and they wanted to have that kind of family and that's great. But if you don't, if you're deciding not to do that, you shouldn't be punished because of it. It's not like she's getting paid more. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's all, that's what it's all about, right? Is making sure that you're being fair, that you're connecting with people as individuals, you're understanding what people need in order to have the best work-life balance possible. And everybody, you know, is going to, as long as everybody's getting their work done and doing a good job performing, uh, they, you know, deserve to be able to do whatever they want in their free time. And everyone's free time is just as valuable regardless of dependents or uh, partners, etc. People need that time to recharge and recoup and how people choose to spend it is their own choice but uh managers and uh other folks shouldn't be deciding for individuals how they spend their free time um so yeah I think that this is a really interesting article and definitely has a lot of uh cool implications for us to talk about so 
don't just assume that people that don't have children and are single don't uh, feel conflict between work and life. They do. And working with everybody to decrease the conflicts that they experience help people to be more healthy and productive. So I think that this was a really good takeaway for people and a good reminder. And if you are single and childless, don't feel uncomfortable speaking up about the fact that you have a life too. Yes, 100% agree. Yeah, I think this article is just a really good reminder. You know, when if you hear this story and hear this research, I think that in and of itself helps people realize, oh yeah, like that this is a, that this exists. I think people just don't even think about it. So, um I found it really interesting and very inspiring. Um and I'm really excited that the topic did resonate with so many people. Um so I'm hoping that that continues and other people listening can take charge of their life if they don't have children and want to take some some life back from what's being taken from them at work so good luck out there yeah absolutely thank you so much for reading this article Patricia I loved it of course of course um for all of you listening we would love to hear your story so please reach out you can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com you can find us on our website at workerbeing.com and you can find us on social media at workerbeing on linkedin twitter facebook and instagram thanks for listening bye The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. 